Good morning, Christ Church. Great to be with you. As Pastor Todd said, I'm, pa I'm Pastor John. You'll want to pull out your Christ Church notes there. Uh, uh, you should have them. Uh, if you don't, they're between the doors, as he just said. You'll also find pens uh, back there as well. For those of you at home, go ahead and print these things out, print the notes out, find a place where you uh, find something for you to fill it in, and uh, join us as we walk through God's Word together. We're going to be in 1 Peter uh, today. That's, our, uh, that's where our scripture is coming from. We're in the six, series, uh, six, quest, uh, six decisions that will change your life, six decisions that will change your life. We've been through five of them. Today we're on number six, and here's the decision that I made that changed my life long time ago, and that is I choose to live. I choose to live my life believing the best is yet to come. I choose to live that way, and knowing that has changed my life because I have hope in what's coming. I have hope in the future because I have hope in Jesus. So let me tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story. On December the 17th, 1927, one of the United States' earliest submarines, it was the uh, USS uh, uh, S-4, it's a picture of it right here, was patrolling off the coast of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And it was just below the surface of the water when it was rammed and sunk by one of our own, by one of the Coast Guard cutters. Well, divers were immediately dispatched to, 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 to dive around the hull of the submarine to find out exactly what happened. And as the divers were, were uh, inspecting the sub, one of the creative Soldier, uh, sailors down there in the sub evidently had found a hammer and was banging out in Morse, Morse code on the, on the hull of that submarine, is there hope? Is there hope? It's one of, one of the fundamental questions of life, people. Is there hope is a fundamental question that we, we ask in life. Is life worth living? What's that mean? Is there hope? Is there, is, there, is there anything that I can count on in life? What's that mean? It means, is there hope? You know, that very question is asked by thousands of people in thousands of different ways every day. Give you some examples of that. You know, if you're at the doctor's office and you get negative test results, what are you going to ask the doctor? Is there, is there hope? If you're standing beside the bedside of someone you love and they're in the hospital and you're asking the doctor, is there hope? When you put months and months and months into marriage counseling and it just doesn't seem that you're making a whole lot of progress, what do you start to wonder? Is, is there any hope here? Is there any hope, in, any hope left? If your small business is failing and your livelihood is at risk, what are you wondering? Is, is there any hope? You know, you've, we've just been through a worldwide, or we're in a worldwide pandemic, been there nearly two years, 
You're longing for the world to get back to normal. What do you begin to think about? Is there any hope that the world is going to get back to normal again? You know, we ask that kind of these questions over and over and over again throughout our life and, and hundreds and thousands of more questions like it. You know, is there hope? Fundamental question of life. Why? Because you can go about 40 days without food. Roughly the human body can go 40 days without food. You can go roughly three days without water. You can go roughly eight minutes without air. But you just can't survive without hope. It's one of the essentials of life. It's one of those things that we long for and we need desperately. When hope is gone, life is over. As the old saying goes, you need hope to cope. You do. Another story, Dr. Harold Wolf. Dr. Harold Wolf was a professor. Here he is. He was a professor at Cornell University over in the medical school there. And he did a study on the effect of hope in the human body. So what he did was he, was he studied the lives of 25,000, a lot of people, 25,000 prisoners of war former prisoners of war, over an extended period of time to see what, how hope or the lack of hope affected their health and their body and their experience. And he discovered, this is fascinating, this is published in, in uh, medical journals, uh, he discovered that there was one group of POWs that, that being a prisoner of war had very little effect on them. Uh, in spite of the brutality, in spite of the torture, in spite of the solitary confinement, in spite of the inhumane treatment, there was one group of people that their ex that experience did not phase them. They did not have PTSD. They didn't get sick. They weren't experiencing any flashbacks. They simply handled it and got on with life. And when he studied this group, he was looking for the common denominator and what, why this particular group uh, seemed, to, seemed to hold up far better than others. And what he discovered was that in that group, that group had an extraordinarily high level of hope. You see, hope makes all the difference in the world. It's essential for handling the crises of life. Uh, and in his study, he said, and I quote, listen to this, he said, when a person has hope, he or she is capable of bearing incredible burdens and cruel punishment. But when hope is gone, people fall apart. They fall apart emotionally, physically, and spiritually. End quote. This brings us to the sixth decision that I'm going to ask you to make I, as I have made in my life. One of the six decisions that can change your life. And this decision is this. I choose to live my life believing that the best is yet 
to come. That's the way I choose to live. Now, I want you to hear me say I choose because this is a choice that every one of us has to make. You can, you can live, you can make a choice to live in fear. You can make a choice to live in pessimism. Or you can make a choice to live in hope. And a hope that is based on something. Uh, not a hope that is simply pie in the sky, but a hope that is based on something that we're going to talk about today. I choose to live my life knowing that the best is yet to come. So, question is now, where in the world we find the hope that we need in order to live that way? In order to live like the best is yet to come. Because if I don't get it, if I don't get that hope, none of the other things that we talk about today matter. If you don't get that hope, then nothing that, the, the, nothing that I say from here on out is going to make a hill of beans difference to you. You have got to have the hope to believe that God will work things out in your life. You have to have hope to believe that God can change your situation and that God will meet your needs. I believe those things. It has made a difference in my life. You have to have hope in order to cope. And you know, hope is in incredibly short supply in our, in our society, I think. Incredibly short supply in our uh, society. Uh, and people fall for all kinds of scams in order to grab uh, what, they, what they hope will be a little bit of hope for their life. They actually put their hope in, in things that are false, in false hope, trusting in things like psychic hotlines and palm reading, astrology and fake healers, all kinds of crazy things, crystals, putting their hope in rocks. To me, it's ludicrous. It's absolutely crazy. It's false Hope and nothing, nothing, nothing will disappoint you more than false hope. Putting your hope in something that you that you are just grasping for straws, believing that maybe this little thing will give you hope, and when that disappoints, there is nothing that disappoints worse than putting your faith in false hope. So where is this hope? that we can depend on, this hope that can change our life, this hope that can help us stand when, when life uh, it, it seems to be shaking, the foundation of your life seems to be shaking from under your feet. Where will I find that hope? We're going to check it out. It's from 1 Peter. Peter was writing these words. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3. We're going to look at that verse 3 right now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what the apostle Peter had to say. He said, look, he said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. I want you to say a living hope. Say that. A living hope. One more time. A living hope. That's it. To put our hope in a living hope. A living hope, he says. You know, I believe that we in our society are desperate for hope. We are desperate to have something to hope for. We're desperate to have something to believe in. In general, our, our, our nation, I believe, is desperate 
for hope. We hope that this pandemic is finally going to come to an end. We are desperate for hope. You know, we hope that our kids are going to turn out all okay. We hope that they're not going to make decisions that are going to haunt them for the rest of their lives. We hope that one day we're going to meet Mr. Right or Ms. Right. We hope that one day our lives are going to get better and we're not going to be riddled with all the troubles and the problems that we've got right now. You know, we are desperate for hope. You know, if you remember back in, uh, all the way back to 2008, you will remember that the people of the United States overwhelmingly elected Barack Obama as president. I'm not making a political statement, I'm simply making a fact here. You'll remember that he was swept into office on the promise of hope. That's, he was elected on the promise of hope. Virtually every one of his speeches had to do with hope. Think about the political slogans that he had. Yes, what? We can. He's, that was it. Our change we can believe in. They're, you know what they are, right? Those are sound bites of hope. They're sound bites of hope. In fact, he wrote a book, and he took the title from a sermon that he heard his pastor preach one time, it called the audacity of hope. You see, people are desperate for it. They're, we're desperate for hope. And his message resonated with the hearts of the majority of the American voters. Now listen to this. In 1990, seven out of ten people reported feeling hopeful about the future. Now, 1990, that does, at least in my mind, that doesn't seem that far ago, you know. But seven out of ten people were hopeful about the future. I found this, that in 2021, it was one in five. That's what this survey says. Uh, in 2021, the number of people who were hopeful for the future was one in five, or 20%. It was 70% in 1990. It's 20% today. It's roughly the same number of people, listen to this, who were hopeful after 9-11. Approximately the same number, percentage of people said, I'm hopeful about the future immediately following 9-11 as they do now in 2021, 20 years later. Clearly, what the world needs is some hope. Now, Talking about the scripture that we just talked about a moment ago, you know, hope for the early Christians was really important. You know, that when Peter was writing this book of 1 Peter, he was writing in approximately 63 AD, 63 years after Jesus was born, roughly 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as uh, when he wrote the letter. And he was writing to believers who were scattered across a great, a great distance of geography here called Asia Minor. You can see Asia Minor right here. This is the present-day country of Turkey. You can see that right there. And where's Jerusalem? Way down here. But most of these 
believers that he was writing to were living up here in the eastern part of, or the western part of, uh, of Turkey. Now, the reason why that's important is because they were far away from Jerusalem, from the hub of the faith. They were far away from Jerusalem right there where Christianity began. They were surrounded by people who did not believe in God. Some didn't believe in anything. Others believed in pagan gods, gods of this and God of that and God of the other thing. Uh, and they were far, far, far removed from uh, um, people who believed like they did. As I said, it had been 30 years since Jesus was uh, death, buried, and resurrected again uh, and descend, ascended into heaven. And you know, these people believed that when they, after Jesus was uh, resurrected and ascended into heaven, they expected him that he was going to come back pretty soon. They were living their lives ready for the return of Christ. In fact, one of Paul's first letters, basically, this is the John Spate version of Paul writing. It basically, Paul said, go home, pack your suitcase, stand out by the curb, because Jesus is bringing the bus by, and you need to get on it. They were ready to go, and they were expecting that Jesus was going to come again immediately. And now, it's been 30 years when Paul was writing, and they were beginning to wonder, you know, is there, is there any hope? I mean, how, how are we going to live out our faith in the long haul when we are so far away from, the, from Jerusalem, when we are so far away from, so, from a majority of other believers and they were beginning now to wonder if he was ever going to come back at all. Not only that, as more time began to pass, they began to get more and more uncomfortable as followers of Jesus. Why? Because politically it was beginning to get very tough on those who were following Christ. And as the church began to grow and began to spread throughout the empire, the persecution began to increase. The Jewish, the Jewish population considered those Christians to be heretics, and the political group over in Rome saw them as a threat and a nuisance, almost like bugs that needed to be stamped out. Now, the Roman Emperor Nero hadn't begun throwing Christians to the lions yet, but that was just around the corner. That was getting ready to begin. So here comes this letter from, from Peter to the church scattered around Asia Minor, all these believers, and at last they had something that they were looking forward to some words of counsel some words of instructions some words of encouragement and some words of hope in this frightening godless society that they were living in and look again what peter wrote what did he say he said praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. Now look at that again. Praise be, he starts out, a living hope. 
What in the world is Peter so optimistic about? I mean, doesn't he watch TV? Hadn't he read the newspaper? What about, what kind of feeds come across his cell phone? He seems so unbelievably optimistic in a world that was getting ready to throw his, their type into uh, to the lions. It was hard to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I will say, you better believe he knew what was going on. Yeah, he understands. This guy had been jailed more times than he can think of about for his own faith. He had seen his friends and co-workers killed for following Christ. But he also knew this, that people who follow Jesus are people of hope. People who put their faith in Jesus Christ are people of hope and are to live their life that way. They are to live that life in hope instead of running scared in the world in which they live. Now, a few years ago, at the uh, researchers at the University of Texas uh, set out to determine why some elderly folks tend to live longer than others, even when their physical conditions were comparable. And they discovered that a key ingredient, again, published in and uh, in journals of medicine, key ingredient was the, of the longevity and the aging of people had to do with how much hope people had. Those who had more hope lived longer than those who didn't, even when medically they had the same kind of conditions. In fact, according to the study, the people who had hope lived at least three years longer. Longer than those who were not optimistic about their future. The researchers went on to suggest that physicians trying to diagnose a patient's condition should not only run the battery of normal tests, but should ask one simple diagnostic question. Here, now, imagine this. This is in one of the uh, medical journals. That doctors should ask this one simple diagnostic question. Are you hopeful about the future? Isn't that interesting? It's not only a, an important question for doctors to ask, but it certainly comes in handy for us pastors too. So I ask you, are you hopeful about the future? And maybe the question should be a little bit more personal. Are you hopeful about your future? Yours. Are you hopeful about your future? Now, let's define this concept of hope for, uh, real quick. When followers of Jesus use the word hope, uh, we do not define it simply as I wish or I desire. That's not, that's not what we think of as hope at all. That is, those who are following Christ and have a biblical understanding of what hope really is. You see, for many people that we run into, uh, when you talk about hope, it's, it's uh, almost like when you wish upon a star, that kind of thing. That's not what hope is for Christians. 
with the hope that something is going to simply come true, but we have no idea that it possibly could. It would be like me saying, you know what, this is Coach K's last year at Duke. I want to play Duke basketball under Coach K. Okay, look at me. There is no way that that's going to, I will never play Duke basketball under Coach K. But you know, that's the kind of way that a lot of people use the word hope. They throw it out as I just simply wish or I have this desire or as I said, when I wish upon a star. But for us Christians, that kind of hope is different. Here's how Here's how Rick Warren describes hope, and I've used his definition for years and years and years because I can't find a better one. For hope is an optimistic outlook. I want you to write this down. Hope is an optimistic outlook, but, now listen, because this is the the thing right here, but it's based on powerful promises. See, hope is an optimistic outlook that's based on powerful promises. Now, you see, for the rest of the world, hope is indeed an optimistic outlook. (laughs) Yeah, but that's where they stop. Yeah, we've got an optimistic outlook based on what? Yeah, I have hope in the future based on what? Based on the way the world's going now? You know, what 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 are you basing this optimism on? See, for us Christians, yeah, we've got an optimistic outlook, but it's not the pie in the sky and the hope and the wish and, you know, and dreaming upon a star and all this kind of stuff. We have an optimistic outlook, but it's based on something. It's based in our faith. It's based on what we believe. It is solidly based on the promises of Jesus. It's the powerful promises that we have recorded in God's word for all of us, you and I, who believe. You know, this is what the Bible says about a Christian hope, that it's living, it's secure, it's sure, it's firm, it's certain. All of these promises that are in God's word, the object of our hope is in a person. Remember, we have been born, uh, given new birth, into a, what did Peter say? Into a living hope. Not a dead hope. But a living hope. See, that's where our powerful promises come from. And they're based on a living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, the reason that we have hope in him is because of these powerful promises that he's given us about how he's orchestrating our lives, the event in our lives for our good, that he has a plan and a purpose for our lives, that he plans to give us hope and a future. You see, even right now, God is preparing a place for us with him in heaven. Powerful promises that I choose to base my life upon. It's very different from the hope that the rest of the world talks about and tends to have. So Peter is telling his, these Christians scattered over in Asia Minor, he's, and he's saying this to us, that as followers, as followers of Jesus, we are people of hope. 
even when the world around us is becoming more and more unpredictable and more difficult and frankly more godless. And whether we live in the first century or the 21st century, folks, listen to me. We are to live with with optimism and confidence and know that the ultimate victory is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord because of the unchangeable, unbreakable promises of God for us. So let me tell you real quick why we should be most hopeful, the most hopeful people in all the world. We who follow Christ. First is this, that my future is secure. Write that down because it should be for you too. My future is secure. Let's say it. My future is secure. Go. My future is secure. One more time. My future is secure. This is one of the reasons why you can make a decision like me to base your life believing, live your life believing that the best is yet to come because my future is secure. Where do we get that? The next verse is right after 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We look at verses 4 and 5. Here it is. It says this, that we're born into the living hope and into an inheritance that can never, look at that, that can never, look at one more time, that can never do what? Perish, spoil, or what? Or fade. Never perish, nor spoil, nor fade. But kept in heaven for you, uh, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is already to be revealed in the last time. Peter right here is speaking about an inheritance, folks, an inheritance. He's not talking about uh, a long-lost rich uncle, you know, that is leaving you some money. He's talking about an inheritance that is called eternal life. Inheritance that is eternal life, a home in heaven. You know, the fact of the matter is we don't know a whole lot about heaven, but we do know this, that heaven is wherever God is, and we will enjoy fellowship with him for the rest of our forevers. You know, it's a place we know of, of, of beauty. It's a place of belonging, a place of purpose, a place of love. That's what we know. There's no sickness or mourning or crying or pain for all those things have passed away. And if you've given your heart to Jesus, folks, that inheritance belongs to you. It's got your name on it. It's already got your name on it. And no matter how much time passes, no matter, no matter what happens to you in this life, no matter how many mistakes you make or have made, no matter how corrupt the environment becomes around you. Nothing but nothing but nothing can threaten that inheritance for you. It's kept in heaven for you. And what did he say? That it never, it never perishes or fades? And You see, it's yours. It's yours. Peter says this, he says, it is kept in heaven for you through faith are shielded by God's power. The future is, is yours. yours. 
future secure. Here's the second and last. The future is now. One of the other reasons you can be hopeful is the future. Not only is your future secure, but the future is right this moment. It is right now. Now, I will admit to you that that may sound like, you know, some pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. But I will tell you this right here. You know, uh, it is absolutely true. You may be thinking, well, this plays well in church, you know, pastor, but I live out there in the, in the real world, in a world that can be a nasty place from time to time. It's nice to know that I've got a, he- a home in heaven, but I don't expect to get there anytime soon. I need hope for right now. I need hope for today to be in my present circumstances and the realities I'm dealing with right now. Okay, I got it. I hear you. Look at what else follows those other verses right here, 6 to 9. He says this, Peter. In this you can greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Yeah, I can get a witness on that, I'm sure. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, look at that again, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith. What in the world is the goal of your faith? Oh, here he finishes it up. The salvation of your souls. You see, folks, Peter was no Pollyanna you know, about the realities of life. He knew that this was a tough place to live in. The world's not easy to live in, especially as followers of Christ. I mean, he'd already been in jail. He'd been in prison because of his faith. He had been run out of town, in fact. But he also knew the power of God's promise. And when we live each day following him, We experience the presence of God in our lives, even in the most difficult of moments. The glory and wonder of heaven was already his. Even though he wasn't there yet, he knew that this was his promise. This was what was awaiting him. This is why he could have hope even when he was in prison, even when he was getting run out of town, even when he was being accused falsely. The future for him was already present. It had already arrived. And so it is for you if you are a follower of Jesus. Your future is right now. It is present for you. The Lord is present for you, even the most difficult times that you're living in. The Lord is present for you. The promise of heaven is yours. It's got your name written on it, even right now. No wonder we can be hopeful about the future. It's already ours. And knowing that changes everything. 
I'm going to leave you with a final story. Some of you, particularly you military folks, may be familiar with this person that I'm going to tell you about. His name is Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was captured by the enemy uh, during the Vietnam War. He was the highest ranking officer to spend time in the Hanoi Hilton, as they say. Highest ranking POW. Listen to me talk about this guy. He was tortured over 20 times. Tortured over 20 times. During his eight years in the Hanoi Hilton in Vietnam. At one point, he even beat himself with a stool and cut himself with a razor, deliberately disfigured, uh, dis, uh, disfiguring himself so that he could not be paraded in front of media as a well-kept prisoner. He did it to himself so that he couldn't be used for their propaganda. Stockdale was asked to explain how he managed, how he managed to overcome the brutality, uh, not knowing if or when he would ever be released. He explained that some of the, his, the prisoners fixed their hopes on arbitrary deadlines, getting out by Christmas or in a certain number of years, and when those days came and went, they would lose all hope. They would feel lost, and many of his colleagues died. But Jim Stockdale chose to focus on life beyond his imprisonment, returning to his family and his career. And he says this. Here's the quote. Go ahead and put the quote. Oh, yeah, I got the quote up there right now. It says, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted that I would uh, not only get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, end quote. Now, do you know what that statement is? It's hope. It's hope that reaches backwards from the future to our present and gives strength and courage for us today. And you know what, folks, that's exactly the, the hope that Peter is talking about in the verses we've just read. Though you do not see him right now, that is Jesus, though you don't see Jesus right now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're already receiving right now the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. Folks, this believer's hope is not simply pie in the sky, but it's bread on the table because we know the end of the story. And the end of the story is this. The best is yet to come. Praise God. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, right now in the holy and precious and matchless name of Jesus, you have changed our lives. We don't live as people without hope. 
for our, for our future is secure and our, our future is now. It's got our name on it now. The salvation of our souls has our name on it now. And it's not kept here where it can be destroyed, but kept in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Because when we, when we truly understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, it, we can't help but have hope. We know the end of the story. We know how it turns out. And when we hold on with faith, when we hold on with hope, we too will be victorious in the end because you have won. You have won over the power of sin. You have won over death. You, Lord, have the victory. And we have that victory too in you. Lord, we praise you, we honor you, we worship you. For you are King of kings and Lord of lords and great I am. You are the author and finisher of our faith and in you we have hope. Thank you, Lord. We love you, praise you, honor, worship, and adore you in the holy and precious and matchless name of Jesus. And all God's people say, Amen. Folks, we are blessed.